Good morning, everyone. My name is Trevor, and this morning, as you can see, we're reading from uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 10, and we'll go through to chapter 4, verses 5. There are Bibles at the back if anyone needs a Bible. Just having a couple distributed now. This morning the reading is about Paul's charge to Timothy. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise through salvation, through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Here in this morning's reading. Good morning again. Are we on? This thing's working? Good. You might, happy Marty, the wires down the back. Good. I finally learned after four weeks. No more distractions. All right. I'll put a few extra in for you. Okay. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we just pray that as we come and look at this fourth part of this series in 2 Timothy, as we're starting to get close to the end, I pray that you would help us to continue to learn more, continue to see how following you is not necessarily a walk in the park, but it does come with suffering and we must stand firm. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to understand that you help us with that too and that you have provided us with your word, which helps us to know what are the right things to do and the wrong things to avoid. Lord, I just pray that you'd be with me, help me to faithfully preach your word, and I pray it'd help all of us to understand what you're saying to us and to apply it to our lives. Amen. Amen. 
Well, if you're visiting or if you're new and this is the first time you've been here for this series, we're in the fourth part of a five-part series on 2 Timothy. Uh, and those of you who've been here will know what I'm about to say, which is that I originally prepared this sermon series for a group of Bible translators who know Greek and linguistics and all that sort of stuff. So some of it's quite technical. I have taken a lot of the Greek out or changed it a bit. Um, but just a heads-up warning that some of it is a little bit technical, especially today. So some of you will be going, yay, more Greek, who's saying that? And who's saying, oh no, more Greek? This will be the most Greeky one of the whole, all five. So if you get through today, next one, the final one, should be like, what do you call it? The, a breeze. Easy. So let's have a look. Um, today's passage continues one of the main themes of 2 Timothy and which we've already been looking at throughout much of the book. And what would you say is the main theme? Those of you who have been here? Sorry? Honour and shame? Yeah. And more specifically, how does that apply to us? Suffering for the gospel. Suffering for the gospel. And then it entails, or someone over there, I didn't see who it was, said that we will be shamed and embarrassed at times or feel embarrassed because we are believers. Um, so we'll see more of that today. We'll also see further elaboration on the theme of good versus bad teaching. So last time we looked at bad teaching and good teaching, so we'll see more of that today. And then at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul commissions Timothy and charges him to continue his ministry. And as we have seen, it looks as though Timothy might be getting a little bit cold feet. Who hasn't ever had cold feet about doing something for God? Yep, some of you, at least Margaret's honest. I'm pretty sure most of us have. Steve is too. And so Paul now charges him. And we know from church history that Paul, uh, sorry, Timothy did actually take Paul's words to heart and became a great and brave and courageous leader in the early church. This passage today we look at today also introduces a new topic and that is how important the Holy Scriptures are. This book here, which I hope you will have a copy of, either hard copy or on your phone. And if you don't, as Trevor said, um, so that you can follow through the sermon, there are some copies at the back there. It would be great if you can go and grab one if you don't have your own copy of the Bible. There's also some cool rhetorical devices in this passage. There's more rhyme and assonance, and we'll have a look at that soon. And we'll have a look at a little bit more of the Greek for that. And we also have another, guess what? Entha meme. Oh, well done, Chris. You remembered. You knew the meme bit. Yeah, well, I guess they've come back, haven't they? Memes are pretty popular today. So they're just memes with enthe on the front of them. Entha meme. And which is... Does anyone remember what an enthymeme is? Yeah, an incomplete saying that leaves a conclusion, you've got to figure it out. I guess that's a bit like today's memes too, isn't it? My kids try and tell me what a meme is and I just don't get it. But anyway, all of this is wrapped up in Paul's appeal to Timothy to be willing to endure hardship, persecution, suffering as he follows Jesus. So, are you ready? Let's dive in. Remember last sun Sunday's passage, Paul was on the warpath. He was a pretty warpathy type Paul. 
Hard times are coming, he warns. There are bad people out there, evil people who take advantage of gullible people and trick them. Paul warns Timothy about these people. He tells them not to get involved in their pointless arguments, but to patiently teach them the truth in the hope that they will change their minds and come to their senses. But now at the beginning of our passage today, Paul strikes a more positive tone. Who's really looking forward to a positive tone in 2 Timothy after last Sunday? He commends Timothy. Unlike these bad people, Timothy has been doing the right thing. He has followed Paul in his way of life and in his teaching and also in the suffering that comes with it. And we see that in chapter 3, verse 10 and the first part of verse 11. You, that's Timothy, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Paul here reminds Timothy of their close relationship. Remember from the first, sermons, uh, first sermon in this series, that ethos, the credibility, that relationship. He reminds them of their close relationship. Timothy has been the disciple of Paul and he's watched Paul's life closely. And in particular, he has watched how Paul has been persecuted and suffered so much because of his service to Jesus. And so we see here the use of imitation and example. That is, Paul has been an example to Timothy, which just needs to be back one slide. Yep. That means that he is someone that Timothy ought to follow. Now, of course, that has relevance to us. We may be discipling someone. We may be mentoring them in the faith. We may be teaching others and most of us are being watched. Did you know you're being watched? People watch you. People who are not believers at your workplace, where you study. They're watching you. Your kids are watching you. Other people, Christians, are watching you. And we need to make sure that we are setting a good example as we follow Jesus. I remember when I was at school and I first heard the gospel from a teacher there and I found out he was a Christian. I was watching him. Does he really live the way he says he's supposed to live? So we need to be good, uh, careful that we are good examples. Now something else is happening here too. Who enjoyed the Greek from last Sunday? Who's just hoping to get through this next bit as quickly as you can? And most of you just seem to be like, oh, whatever. Anyway, we're going to do a bit of Greek anyway for the few of you who like it. First, I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 11 in English, so you know what it's about. I did read it before, but I'll read it again. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? Now, Listen as I read just verse 10 this time. I'm only going to read verse 10. And listen as I read it to you in the Greek. I realise that you know, 99% of you won't understand the Greek. But listen to the sounds like you did last Sunday and see what you notice 
as I read this. See what you notice about the endings of the words. And I've put that down there. If you go to the next slide, you'll see it's highlighted. That's it in blue. It's not very hard, easy to see, is it? Anyway, it says, Suda parakalutesasmu te didascalia, te arore, te processe, te piste, te macrothumia, te arape, te upomone. What did you notice? A, 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 A. You notice that on the end of all the words, A. And, did, and, and the word for the in Greek is, there can be a number of ways to say the word the, like it has genders, but the one is picked there is the one that ends with A as well. So all these positive characteristics in chapter 10, remember they were way of life, purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, all those positive character endings end with these similar sounds. Te didascalia, te aroge, te prothese, te piste, te macrothumia, te arape, te upomone. And those A sounds, if it was said by a true Greek speaker and not me, would have a nice pleasing sound pattern that Paul has done by using words which have similar sounding endings. Sounds nice when they end with A, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. So Cicero, or Cicero, or however you pronounce him, I'm, I'm not a Latin speaker. Who knows Latin? Who knows the right way to say his name? Yes, David. Cicero. That's not the way the Latin said it. <laughs> anyway, we don't know. There's no recordings. So anyway, in English we call him Cicero. He was a Roman public speaker from around about 100 years before Paul. And re he recommended using what he called fl flowers of language at various points in a speech or writing to decorate, to decorate it. <coughs> so Quintilian, he was another Roman public speaker from about Paul's time, and he taught that we're naturally attracted to harmony, even the harmony of sound, so that when we hear those AAA endings, it makes us think, oh, this sounds nice, these must be nice things, and they are, because they're positive characteristics. But now notice, as we go back to the Greek again, so the next slide, it changes to more negative things, persecutions and sufferings. Who likes persecution and suffering, honestly? Who doesn't like it? Good, you're being honest. And as we change from the po these positive to negative things, notice that the sound of the endings of the words change to match the swift from positive to negative, even from a nice sound to a... More neutral, maybe not as nice sound. Listen. Suda parakalutasmu te didascalia, te arore, te prothese, te piste, te macrothumia, te arape, te upomone, tus diorgmuis, tus pathemison, oemoi ereneto in Antiochia, in Iconia, in Lustrois. So, did you notice that shift from the R to these? Ois sounds. What sounds nicer, ah or ois? <laughs> oh, okay, there's always going to be one. Thanks for that. Now, of course, that's a bit hard to translate into English. I guess as Bible translators, we could sit down and look for words in English that end with nice sounds and ones that don't, but it's a bit hard while still retaining the meaning. So, unfortunately, we don't see that in translation, but I thought that you might be interested to hear it in Greek. Okay. So now that we've done that, we've got the Greek out of the way, let's move on to some more practical application of things for our lives. Verse 12, it says, and reminding us of what's gone before, in fact, everyone 
who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In verse 12, Paul reminds Timothy and us again that anyone who wants to live a godly life following Jesus is going to suffer and face persecution. Be given a hard time by others precisely because you're following Jesus. Who's ever been given a hard time because you followed Jesus? I can see a lot of hands there. So it's not just people in other parts of the world. Sure, they may have more overt persecution, but we can still be given a hard time, feel the shame of embarrassment, and we need to be strong and be willing to go through that as we follow Jesus. And then in verse 13 we read, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul reminds Timothy that there are evil people around who are just getting worse, who are not only deceived themselves, but also deceive others. And we also have a nice wordplay here at the end of verse 13. And fortunately, that wordplay does actually come through into English. Who's excited about that? (laughs) So we don't even have to look at the Greek. We can just stick with the English. What we have here is the active and passive forms for the words deceive. Does anyone remember from English in school what active and passive forms mean? Someone? Anyone? Who? Can you tell me then? Hmm? Doing and being done to. Exactly. That's exactly right. So what I mean by an active form of the word is that someone does something to someone else In this passage, it is someone deceiving someone else. The passive form is when the person is being deceived. In this case, the person is also themselves being deceived. It's being done to them. And so we see that these evildoers are both. They're both people who deceive other people, but they're also the ones who are being deceived themselves. And the really cool thing about this rhetorical device is it works in English too. Who's excited about that? It says, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving, that's the active, and being deceived, which is the passive form. And by using this device, Paul reminds Timothy and us that the world is full of people who have themselves been deceived and who are also leading others into the same deception. As I watched the news last night, pretty momentous day overseas um, yesterday, if anyone was watching the news, but I just thought there's a whole lot of deceived people who are also deceiving others. And that is true. When we are aware of the world around us and people deceiving others, remember that they too are deceived themselves and need deliverance from that and see the truth. But what about us as Christians? We need to be different. We need to be people who are not deceived and who don't deceive others. Let's see what it says in verses 14 and the first part of 15. But as for you, continue in what you've learnt and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learnt it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. That's what stops us from being deceived, is knowing the Holy Scriptures. 
So let's now focus now on these last few verses of this chapter which talk about the Holy Scriptures, which of course is very interesting in my job as a Bible translator, but it shouldn't just be interesting just for me, it should be interesting and important for all of us as Christians, Christians as readers and students of this book here, the Bible. Let's read what Paul has to say about the Bible in verses 15 to 17. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. These three verses tell us wonderful things about the holy writings, the holy scriptures, what we now call the Bible. So what does Paul teach us about these holy scriptures? Firstly, they are inspired by God. They're not dictated by God, but they are inspired by God. As the NIV has it, they are God-breathed. And that's what the Greek theopneustos literally means, God-breathed breathed. This means that even though each book has a human author, such as Paul with this book of 2 Timothy, that ultimately the source is God. Even as Paul was writing to Timothy, God was breathing the words into him. God guided the human author and that gives us a great deal of confidence that the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, is not like any other book. But it is God's book. It is God's word for us. And this book, these writings, are not just inspired by God, but it tells us there that they are also useful. The Bible does not deal with abstract concepts that are impractical for everyday life, but the Bible is useful and practical. Now, if we diagram this sentence, so who's ever diagrammed a sentence to sort of figure out what it's saying? Maybe you've ever studied Greek, but you can do it in English too, and we've done it. I see a few people have diagrammed a sentence. We can see the structure of this sentence. Uh, And we can see that Paul, as we've just seen, is writing this as he is inspired by God, tells us that Scripture is doing two things. Firstly, it's God-breathed, in the blue there, and secondly, it is useful. Firstly, it's God-breathed. That means it's inspired by God, as we've already looked at. But secondly, it is useful. It's practical. That means the Holy Scriptures are useful and practical in our everyday lives. They don't deal with impractical, abstract things, but they deal with useful, practical, everyday things that help us in everyday life, to help us know what to do. And then Paul, inspired by God, tells us four things that they're useful for. Firstly, they're useful for teaching, and Paul's already told Timothy that back in chapter 2, verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. The way to counteract false teaching and false ideas is to teach the right things 
And later in our passage today, we will see that again, where in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul encourages or tells Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And of course, the word instruction is just another way of saying teaching. So coming back to our diagram, the second thing that the Holy Scriptures are useful for is for rebuking. Who likes to be rebuked? Who finds it helpful? <laughs> if it's done the right way, yes. Who likes to rebuke other people? Rebuking is a bit of a strong word, isn't it? It's stronger than the word teaching. And sometimes when error is bad, rebuking is needed. Not something we want to go around all the time rebuking people, but sometimes it's needed. The third thing the holy writings are useful for is for correcting. That is, if someone is going off track, going the wrong way, then the holy scriptures are useful for getting us back on the right track. You know, if someone's going off, have a talk to them. Say, let's have see what the Bible says about this. And the fourth thing the Holy Scriptures are useful for is training in righteousness. That is training to live the right way, to live the right way. And the Greek word here for training is a word that is used for comprehensive training, such as bringing up a child, which should be on to the next slide, I think. Bringing up a child. Oh, yeah, we are on the right slide, sorry. It's a word that used for comprehensive training, that is bringing up a child. You know when you bring up a child? Who here is bringing up kids? Brought them up? It's pretty comprehensive, the training you do with them, isn't it? Lots of different ways that you train them up. And the focus is on a practical result of the person then living the right way. When we bring up kids, the result is that we want them, hopefully, to be able to be productive members of society who worship and follow Jesus. That's our aim. And that's our aim, too, for teaching. And that's... What are we training them to do? To training them to be righteous or live righteously. That's a pretty Christianese sort of word. But righteousness just means to live the right way. To live the way we are supposed to live. In other words, the Holy Scripture's purpose is very practical. To comprehensively train us, teach us, to live the right way... And that is what Paul is making clear here. You know, we're not trained up by the scriptures to prepare us for abstract debates. We're not trained up by scriptures so we can argue about how many angels can fit on the top of a pin. Have you ever wondered about that? <laughs> they used to argue about that. But we are trained up for righteousness. We're trained up for right living. We're trained, we're discipled by God's word so that we can live the right way, which is God's way. And then in verse 17, Paul gives us the end result of what the scriptures achieve in our lives. It is so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The result of reading to, listening to, studying the holy writings, which is the Bible, is that God's people are equipped to do good work. Good stuff. That is to live lives that are pure, holy, living the right way that God wants us to live. 
And that means that in the face of strange ideas, of bad ideas, it is God's word we turn to to find out what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false, so that we can know the truth and then we can live the truth and teach the truth to other people. And that is a tremendous encouragement to us as believers because we have good God's word. It's also the reason, as I spoke briefly about yes, uh, last Sunday, why I work in Bible translation. Because if people don't have God's word in their language, how do they have the scripture that's useful for all these things? For God's word to be useful, the holy writings have to be available and readable or listenable so that people can be equipped to live the right way. People have to understand God's word in their own language. Do you have God's word in your language? What's your language? Most of you it's English, and if you can understand me now, you at least understand some English. Praise God that we do have his word in our language. Who's grateful for that? People like William Tyndale and others suffered greatly in the past, hundreds of years ago, so that we would have God's word in our language of English. What are you doing with God's Word? How often do you read it? Do you read it every day? Are you studying it? Are you applying it to your life? Pray for those who don't have God's Word. Pray for the thousands of people all over the world who are working to translate God's Word into those languages that don't have it. But for us who do have it, let's read it. Let's study it. Let's apply it to our lives. But before we move on, who'd like to see another enthymeme? Or who's sick of them? You all remember what an enthymeme is? It's a meme with an enthy on the front of it. It's a technical saying or a term for a saying in which the conclusion is unstated. Not always, but often. And we have to fill in the missing gap, what we might call an incomplete saying. Have you noticed that Paul doesn't actually tell Timothy to read the scriptures? He sort of does. He commends him for doing it in the past. He sort of implies it in the next chapter when he's to preach it. But he doesn't actually tell him directly, read the Bible and study it. He's told us that God's people should do good works. He's told us, secondly, that scripture helps us to do good works or righteousness. And then the missing unstated part is number three, which is? And study it. study it, read it and study it. And that's for us too, isn't it? It's not stated and that's the beauty of an enthymeme, an unfinished saying that us as the reader needs to figure out the whole point of this passage, which is study the scripture. Thanks, I'm glad one person's got that. No, I know a few more of you have too. Now we'll move on to the next verses, which leads us to the climax of this book. The climax probably goes, scholars argue about it, but probably goes from chapter 4, verse 1, through to verse 8. But we'll just deal with the first five verses today, which is Paul's charge or his commission to Timothy. Let's read that out again, verses 1 to 2, firstly. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom... I give you this message. Preach the word. 
Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. In verse 1, we see that Paul is charging Timothy with an important task, and we'll get to what that task is when we get to verse 2. But here in verse 1, this is a solemn charge. Paul is giving this charge to Timothy in the presence of whom? God and Jesus. But it doesn't just say Jesus, it says Jesus Christ. What does Christ mean? Anointed one. Christ is not Jesus' surname. When I was a kid, I used to think that, you know, it was Christ, Mr. Christ. Whoever, who else was like me? And most of the people who haven't grown up in the church just think it's a swear word. But Christ is a title. It's a description. It means Messiah, anointed, chosen one. This is Jesus the Messiah, God's chosen, anointed one who has a kingdom. That means he's also a king. Jesus is God's Messiah, the one God the Father chose and anointed to be king. And he is the one who will judge everyone, as it says in this verse, including Timothy, including us, both those alive when Jesus comes again and those who will have died before he returns. This is an important responsibility that Paul is passing on to Timothy and it does seem as though it is a passing on. In verse 6, which we aren't looking at today, but we'll look at next Sunday, Lord willing, it is clear that Paul is aware that he will soon die. Paul is now passing the baton on to Timothy. And what we are reading here is a solemn charge of transferring an office and all responsibility from one person to another person. Paul is urging, he's challenging, he's charging Timothy to carry on the work and to take up the suffering and the hardship that comes with it. So what is he charging Timothy to do? Verse 2, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And the reason Timothy needs to do this is given in the next two verses, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now that last word, myths, what does it mean? A myth is some sort of story or narrative or argument that is not true. To understand what Paul means here, we need to look back where Paul has talked about false teaching in the passage that we looked at last Sunday. Remember a couple of verses from last Sunday? Chapter 2, verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God about quarrelling about words. Verses 16 and 17 in chapter 2. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene or cancer. And then in verse 23. Don't have 
anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they only produce quarrels. And then in the section we're looking at today, in chapter 4, verse 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. In other words, they'll only listen to things that already support what they've already decided. You know, as I thought about how to describe that in modern language, the expression conspiracy theories, rabbit trails came to mind, Facebook algorithms where you only read the things that you already, already think and believe, we can all run prone to that. That is, arguments that lead nowhere, coming up with so-called so ideas or so-called alternative facts that have no basis or little basis in reality, that argue over words, argue over pointless talks, uh, over point, uh, that are pointless talk and that ideas that spread like gangrene and cancer. But most importantly, they are arguments that take the focus off the gospel or Jesus. I mean, it's certainly true. It's not always easy to know what the truth is. But look for those things that talk about issues which really are not central to the gospel and which cannot be supported by scripture, but rather take the focus off him. Let's be honest. To my shame, and it should be to our shame, sometimes Christians seem to be really bad at spreading some of these strange and bad ideas. Something appears on Facebook or whatever, we don't go and research it and just go and believe it and then share it with everybody else. And the result of such ideas being associated with the church and Christians is that the church and Christ's name are often discredited. And that is not good. So how do we stop that happening? How do we know what the truth really is? It is not always easy to know what the truth is. It's true that in some areas it is really hard to know what the truth is and what Christians should do in a given situation. As we talked about last Sunday, COVID really brought that out. You know, when we had to do church at home with the recorded sermon packages, that was controversial. When we couldn't meet together, when there were issues about masks, vaccines and vaccine mandates, they were really controversial topics. And they didn't always have easy answers. You know, I'm glad COVID and some of those divisive arguments are now behind us. I'm sure most of us are glad. But you know what? Other controversial issues are going to come along. How do we know what we as Christians should do in those situations? Well, I think it tells us here. Don't just listen to what you already want to hear. It is really tempting to just to listen to what we already want to hear. Be careful of arguments and splitting hairs that lead to arguments and divisions and that are divisive. Don't get caught up in theories that have no basis in the Bible or that are peripheral or that take the focus off God and Jesus and what he has done for us. And most importantly, what Paul told Timothy at the end of chapter 3 Read and study the scripture, not just bits of it, but all of it, 
because it is useful for equipping us to live the right way. One of the errors as Christians that we can fall into is to only read bits of the scripture and ignore other bits. Or to only listen to teachers of us who are using a part of the scripture but are twisting it or misusing it or using it out of context and trying to read into it things that aren't really there. And the way we protect that and know what's truth is by reading and studying all the scripture so that we can tell when someone's doing that. So what we should be doing is exactly what Paul, Timoth Paul tells Timothy to do in verse 5, in chapter 4. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Let's keep our head. Another way of saying that would be is to be level-headed in all situations. Not carried away with strange and dangerous and, and weird ideas. But let's put up with the hardship that comes from serving Jesus. And let's tell others about the good news. What the Bible says is the good news as we live our daily lives. Because as we've been reminded, how do people know the truth? Here's a hint. When people do hear different versions of the truth or claiming to be the truth, when there are difficult situations and different, difficult, different ideas going around and different opinions and it's not always easy to know what to believe, who to believe or how to act, this is our guide. It tells us what to do, what not to do, what is truth, what is not truth, and if it's silent on something, that's probably a good indication that an issue might not actually be that important after all. We have covered many topics today. Today's passage was a bit of a licorice all sorts with all sorts of different things. And next Sunday we will have our final talk on 2 Timothy where these threads all come together in some of the most stirring passages of Scripture where we'll see that pathos, that emotional appeal coming again as Paul, facing shame, desertion, suffering and imminent death, looks to a wonderful eternal future with his Lord in his heavenly kingdom. Any questions? How to remain level-headed when there's so much wrong-headed? Yeah, well, what it says here, go back to the Scriptures. So, you know, when you hear different ideas abound, whether they're on the mainstream media or they're not, test it against the Scriptures. See what the Scripture says. And I think for me that's a really important thing that I just said before. If the Scriptures are silent on something, on an issue, that probably means that it's not that important in God's eyes anyway. So I think um, we can take heart in that. Did you have specific examples in mind, Steve? Maybe that's going dangerous, heading that way. No. Yes, tech. Sorry? Sorry? Yeah. Moderate your use of social media. And I, like what I said before, you know, if you see some, something on social media, because anyone can put something on social media, before you like it or forward it on to everybody else, maybe do a bit of background research and see if it's actually true or see if it's scriptural. Yep. Tech? 
in season and out of season, I think that just means when it's easy and when it's not so easy. So, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's easy to share the gospel, isn't it? I remember once years ago, I was at work and, uh, when I was working in a bank and we had our, our dinner break. I worked in the evenings in the bank. We had our dinner break and we were all sitting down, about four of us on a table. And one of them just looks across at me at the table and says, So, Thomas, tell me about this Christianity. What is it? Well, that was pretty easy, wasn't it? <laughs> Except suddenly I had to think, what do I say? <laughs> so no opposition. That's in season, I think. But out of season is when you go off to, on, Saturday, on the last Saturday of every month, and you go over to Meadow Muse, and you talk to people cold, up front, who don't want to listen to you, tell them the gospel. That's a bit out of season, isn't it? And so Jesus is telling us, be ready, or Paul's telling us, to be ready when it's easy and when it's not so easy. I think that's what it's saying. So that means don't just spread the gospel when it's easy, when it's not easy too. One more question, if there's time. Yes, Peter. Sorry, oh, you can ask me later, Jen. Peter. Oh, Jen. Okay, we'll let you ask one. Good point. So Peter's basically saying, I think, that you know, if, when you do see these things, we shouldn't really have to search the Scriptures because we already have. We spend our lives studying the scriptures so it makes us alert to things that might not be true. And just one final thing that I wanted to point out. The scriptures, as it says in verse 15 in chapter 3, are wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Those scriptures are also useful for non-believers to hear the truth and come to know Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your scriptures. I pray that each of us would learn how to use your scriptures to know what the truth is. For those of us who don't know anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you would also use the scriptures to help us, help them to know you and to know the truth of who you are and how to come to faith through Jesus Christ. We ask for this in your name. Amen.